Hey guys, it's Destry. And Katie. And we are the Practical Idealists. And today we're going to be talking about the remake of Dumbo. And we saw this about like a month or two ago. But due to life being life, we have not had time to record it. Well, life and my being sick again. So. Yeah, no voice for three whole days. So we thought that we would sit down and give our thoughts because we did go see it two times. And the first one was you know, just to see it, see if there was anything to really talk about. And then the second time, I wanted to go see it again. Not just because I thought that it was better than I expected it to be, but also because I wanted to kind of draw some conclusions that I was vague on the first time. And I think that that does help. And I think that it's better the second time, would you agree? I agree. It was definitely better the second time. I picked up more interesting things the second time just because I wasn't focused on seeing what they were going to do with the storyline and I think that that was probably the best part of it was that it wasn't a total departure from the animated film but it definitely went a different direction and the first time that you see it you're a little bit caught off guard because you're waiting for it to be just a Tim Burton version of the original animated film and then it kind of does its own thing and you're a little bit surprised. Like, I was surprised. I think that they used the original movie's storyline as a jumping off point. It seemed like maybe a third of the way through is when the original movie ended and then this movie's story actually began. And that was probably one of the most positive things. They actually added a second act to the story. Yeah, you got to see Dumbo become his own hero. Because we just recently did a discussion on the animated movie and we were not big fans. It kind of ends before anything of interest can really happen. Like it's an origin story for a quote-unquote hero that you never actually get to see mm -hmm. be a hero. So I appreciated in this that they recognized that it can't just be, well, this is a cute little story about an elephant with two big ears that can fly. So I liked that they thought a little bit more in depth about it, like conceptually, because they turned it into a full narrative and not just someone's short story that they never finished, which is basically how I always felt about the original. Yeah. A lot of the callbacks or allusions to the original were really well thought out. Yeah, the places that he chose to use the original were very thoughtful and very original too, like the pink elephant sequence. That was the most Tim Burton thing about the movie for me, was that whole sequence. He did it in a not creepy, because I've always, I always felt that the original one was kind of sinister to a certain extent, and he did it in a not creepy way, but he made it magical and enchanting, which is kind of the point, you know? Like, it's supposed to be this fantastical vision instead of being like this, well, where did this weird thing come from? In the original, it feels more like you're delving into Dumbo's psyche. Like a dark version of his psyche. Because, you know, Pink Elephant's on parade. He's basically been constantly shunned and teased and made to feel left out by his fellow pachyderms. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of presents itself 
in his little drunken stupor <laughs> and helps him come to terms with it, I guess. Like, that's a very psychological It's a psychological rating. take on <laughs> pink elephants. Because usually it's just, wow, that was weird. And but instead, it, it was just, it was a moment of wonder. It was so charming, which that was the, the word of the movie for me. It was a charming movie. It was playful and sweet and creative, but it wasn't boring. No. I had fun with it. I just thought it was weird that Tim Burton chose to do this one. Yeah, of all of them, why didn't he do Pinocchio, the world's creepiest movie? (laughs) But, I mean, I do think that he did a pretty decent job, and his style didn't get in the way of it. Yeah. Like, I always thought that his take on Alice in Wonderland, his style was way too prevalent in that. It eclipsed the story. And it's already weird, so do we really need you to be even more bizarre? Like, is that even a thing that we need for Lewis Carroll? Mm Mm-hmm. But for this, it was toned down enough that it didn't feel like he had no one to say no to him. But they utilized him in a way that made it seem like it still was his movie without him being indulged with his eccentricities. You could still tell it was a Tim Burton movie without feeling overwhelmed by its Tim Burton-iest. <laughs> but I also felt that he utilized his actors in a very smart way. I don't know how many directors could have used the adult straight characters in a story like Dumbo in that good a way. He coaxed the best out of them. Initially when it was announced and when it was announced that Dumbo was going to be the story rather than the main character, and that the human live-action people were going to take center stage, what sprung to my mind immediately was the Pete's Dragon remake here a couple of years ago. And it just seemed like they were trying to milk the emotionality out of these children and these live-action adult actors instead of utilizing the character as a catalyst for their story to unfold. And that's how I felt in this one, that even though Dumbo really wasn't the main character, he still made things happen in the movie. It was still his story. I enjoyed a lot of the the callbacks, like I said, the the stork. The very subtle stork reference. And the train. Mm -hmm. And then they utilized a lot of the, the music. But I think that the most important elements that they brought from the original that they expanded on and made more relevant is the the feather and his mom because with the feather it was his gateway to believe that he could fly Mm -hmm. and the reason for that wasn't just because it was psychological because, because it did initially spark him being able to fly And it continued to. Yeah. It made it make more sense in a realistic world Mm -hmm. instead of it being the talking mouse who fast talks (laughs) him into believing that this magical feather can make him do something that he's more than capable of doing. And I appreciate that Tim Burton thought about that, though, is that he he put logic to that storyline that didn't necessarily need logic, but he gave it anyway. He turned it into a, a life lesson. It was a nice symbol for the movie. Yeah. And then with his mom, she also kind of acted as a catalyst for the story to unfold 
because a lot of the things that Dumbo did were motivated by trying to be reunited with his mother. Mm-hmm. And it worked in a lot of parts, but it didn't in some parts. Like, I, I didn't fully comprehend the let's destroy his mom to make him work for me. Like, that seemed to not connect in my opinion. I don't know if it was necessarily let's destroy his mom. It was we have to remove the temptation because he's always going to try to get back to her. I think it was more he has to belong body, mind, and soul to us. The way that it was presented as far as I was aware was that the children had told Dumbo that he had to fly in order for the circus to make money in order for them to buy his mom back. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was the children's logic for why he had to do what he was doing. So by the children's logic, if the mother was reunited with him, then he would have no reason to continue doing the flying. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense, but also you can personify him all you want to, but I don't exactly know if that would have really been that big of a deal. Like, I feel like they could have worked around that adults are cruel thoughtless beings (laughs) so but seriously like that's what that story was it's that in the kid's mind it makes sense that he's just gonna do it then because he wants to once mom is back and then you can all be part of an act together like it never crosses their mind that he would do anything else because the circus is home and the circus is family right Mm -hmm. but to the adults being the calloused people that we are, we all see that, well, if he gets the thing he wants, then he has no reason to do anything for us. So I think that was kind of the point. But, I mean, overall, I thought her inclusion into the larger story was a positive one because it did give him a purpose for what he was doing. And I liked how in the third act, it was like this big escape sequence And he also got to make the decision to come back and help them. Like, he had the option to go stay with his mom, but he made the decision to go and help his friends. Which basically flies in the face of what you were just saying. The kids are right. The kids knew. But to adults, adults would never assume that someone would do something for the right reasons. So one of the biggest positives for me was that in the original, you're supposed to receive this uplifting feeling when Dumbo finally learns to fly and conquers his fear and conquers the negativity that has surrounded him with the teasing and all of that. And I never really got that feeling. Like, I didn't think that that was conveyed well enough to me. But in this one, even though Dumbo is very much CGI the entire time, you did feel more of a connection with the character. So whenever he flew, no matter what the purpose of the scene was, you felt like, wow, that's awe-inspiring. It was good CGI, though. I don't know if it was just difficult on set to handle the main character of your movie being fully CGI Mm -hmm. and not physically ever really being there, even as an animatronic. But a lot of the actors' performances were slightly affected by it. Danny DeVito was the worst of all of them. Every time he had to interact with something that was CGI, it was just bad. He was looking in all the wrong places, and he was overacting, but 
at the same time underacting. It was over physical acting, but under vocal performance. So he just looked kind of confused. And it was cute. Like, it worked to the character's advantage. But it It, was interesting sometimes. It was rough. (laughs) Colin Firth had a couple of those moments, but he did relatively better than him. Well, he's just a good actor. Yeah. So I think that maybe this is the director's fault, too, that he didn't get them to look in the right places and in the right ways. Because he was doing a good job every time he had to speak to Dumbo or something. But whenever they were trying to catch, like, a side shot especially, like, you could tell his eyes were just glazed over. (laughs) Like, there wasn't a lot of intentional focus there. The kids were just awful no matter what. So it wasn't really their fault that they were bad. (laughs) I felt bad for him because you could tell that they wanted to give a better performance than they did. But I don't think that they knew particularly how. Yeah. Because whereas Danny DeVito looked kind of confused and Colin Firth looked kind of disinterested, all of their reactions were so muted and so planned and similar to each other that it was like differing levels of, whoa, oh, that's cool, wow. It was very child actory. I wanted so much more, especially from the girl, because Colin was doing such a good job with her himself and she wasn't giving him anything back and it made me so sad because you have such great actors there with Colin and Ava Ava Green and even with I mean I don't like Michael Keaton but he and Danny DeVito were fantastic together like that was one of the best scenes in the movie is when whenever they were talking together well it's Batman and the Penguin it's true (laughs) but I wanted so much more from those kids because they were being given a lot from the adults the boy didn't really have much to do if I'm being honest yeah he just kind of showed up and was like this is exciting whoa but the girl had like a through line she was kind of one of the central characters and It felt to me like she got caught up in the dryness of the character. Mm -hmm. Like she was supposed to play a child that was beyond her years because she had to be. Who had to grow up too fast. But I think that she got into her head a little bit too much. And I don't think that there was enough attention paid specifically to the children in general. Mm -hmm. But to really any of the actors because they were so focused, like we said, on... Where do I look? Where is he at? It's a lot. Like, that's a lot of technical proficiency. And I think that that's where they shone when they were interacting with Dumbo. They were doing a pretty good job of, relative to him, where they were standing, where they were looking, where they were touching, and interacting with something that didn't exist. It was when they were interacting with the other live-action real people that I felt like it was really stilted. See, I disagree. Because I felt like all of the actors together gave a good performance, but the only time that I had an issue is when there were a lot of people with Dumbo. One-on-one, they were okay. But when there was more than one person around Dumbo, that's when you really started to see the cracks in the facade. And again, I don't know how much of that you can actually blame on the actors when they have to be given something to focus on and they have to have someone who's drawing their attention to that. And that was what I kept seeing is that they didn't have a clear focus. And I feel like that's a detractor of Tim Burton's Mm -hmm. because you got to remember that back in the 80s, a lot of his special effects, I mean, it was the 80s, so of course they had to be practical, but they were claymation. Physical. 
they were animatronics or they were people in suits like it was real so even though you know technology has changed and even though obviously he has changed with the technology i mean he directed alice wonderland for god's sake <laughs> and that was all cg like it just seems to me like he's still kind of lost in this world where there's nothing physically there i think that he as a director kind of requires something physically present even if it's only some of the time and when it's never there when it's just a green ball in front of a green screen or whatever they did to make it work mm -hmm. it's difficult like it really is i was recently watching a documentary about one of james rolf's series uh bored james yeah and there's a scene in the finale of the series where he's on a physical set but he's also talking to someone on a green screen mm -hmm. so he was more focused on where he had to look relative to where he was standing and where the other people were supposed to be so that when the shots composed together that it wouldn't be confusing as to where everybody was situated mm -hmm. and that's how i felt a lot of the time was spent in Dumbo, not the performances and not script analysis. Right. But where do I look, when, where, and how? And when that's your major focus is the technical aspect of things, other things kind of fly under the radar. And that was the biggest disappointment, I guess. And whether it was anybody's fault, I don't know. But that's just one of the, the issues that comes about when your main character is CGI. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the, of the actors have spoken out about that. I mean, another thing that could be one of the things that might have hurt the kids further, I know for a fact that Colin is Irish, and I'm pretty sure that the girl was British too. <laughs> and I wonder if part of her performance was due to the fact that she was trying to do an American accent. And you gotta love Ava Green. He honestly just wanted She's her in perfection. it. Because she was Angelique in the Dark Shadows movie. And she did a really good job with that. She had the most consistent performance, I think, besides Colin Firth. Well, yeah, because they're both fantastically talented. And also she spent a lot more time with the actual live action people. And less so with Dumbo. And when she was with Dumbo, it was one-on-one. -on -one. So it was easier for her to be like, he's underneath me, now he's over here, and now I'm flying mm -hmm. on him. So she... Well, also, she has spent a lot of time doing science fiction stuff. So she has probably worked with quite a bit of CGI herself. And by the way, she is English, and her mother was in one of the Star Wars movies. Okay. But yeah, so she is English, so I wonder if that might have contributed to the performance we saw. So that's how she got the job. <laughs> well, yeah, she's part of Disney. But yeah, Ava Green is just, she's fabulous. I love her so much. I think she's one of the most beautiful women that are out there. I hope she got to keep some of those costumes. Oh, they were gorgeous. <laughs> and I know that I read somewhere that the costumer for the movie, which by the way, all of the costumes in that movie were delightful. They were so good. Do you feel like they were period appropriate? I think for the most part they were. I mean, I don't know a ton about, that's not one of my time periods, but I think that they they were, for the most part, 
I mean, and performance clothing is always going to be kind of up in the air anyway. But the costume designer made a point to not use black or white clothing because that's Tim Burton's signature colors. And she didn't want that to be in the movie. She's like, that's too obvious. I don't want this. Mm -hmm. Also, Ava Green was terrified of heights. <laughs> so she had to work with an actual trapeze artist to get over it because she had to film all of her scenes in the air. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the time period, how do you think that it was utilized inside of the movie? Do you feel like they did a good job with it? Do you feel like it contributed to the movie? Or did you feel like it was just a good old-fashioned time to set a show about circus people? I thought that their dad being gone was utilized really well. And I thought that all of the children being orphans or, you know, almost orphans, they made it make sense. It wasn't just like, oh, here's another dead Disney mom. It was like, well... This is a time period when there was a huge epidemic and probably a lot of people were dead. Especially when you're traveling from town to town. Like, it's not like you can just sit and heal. It's you have to jump on and move. And she was performing to try to keep her kids fed. And so it made sense that the mom would have died. And it made sense that the dad would have come back with a crippling injury. You know, a life-altering injury because he was in the friggin' war. So I thought that they were thoughtful in that way. What and did you think of the injury? Did you think that it was story appropriate? Did you think that it was just there for whatever or? I feel like he needed to have an injury coming back from wars so that would, it's another block and connecting and they couldn't have him lose a leg or he wouldn't have been able to really participate in the story. And it makes sense that losing an arm would be a just, you know, soul-crushing travesty for him because he works with horses. And he's a trick rider. And he's a trick rider, so, or a stunt rider. So to not have that extra balance would have been really difficult for him to continue doing the work that he's used to doing in the same manner that he used to do it. I love the fact that he has this history with horses too because I bet that made everything so much easier on people. <laughs> and I mean, Disney has always had a dead mom cliche. Like, that's just kind of par for the course at this point. It's not really even something to think too deeply about because it's just so widespread and it's just something that you come to expect of the stories that this company likes to put out. And I don't fully understand, like, I guess it serves as a, a point of tragedy for a lot of these films and a lot of these characters. I also think that by having, <laughs> this sounds awful. But by having less parents, the kids can actually do more yeah. and are expected to take care of themselves and do more. So it's not like, why are those parents letting those kids run around and do things like that? It's like, well, they don't have a mom, so it's okay. Or no one's watching them. So. Yeah, no one's watching them. And it's understandable because there's only one parent. Mm -hmm. Which, what does that say about single parent families? Uh, uh -huh. I, I don't know. But what I'm really getting tired of seeing... And it seems to be something that they've kind of been utilizing more and more as the years have gone by as a comparison to the dead mom cliche. The distant and uptight, disconnected from his children father. But again, I felt like, because I agree with you, but I also feel like they gave a reason for that. It wasn't just a cliche because it was a cliche. It was a choice because this is a man who's been gone for quite a few years. He comes back to find his wife dead and to find that he no longer has a profession. 
and he has the after effects of war. He has the fact that he can't work like he used to. He has the fact that he's suddenly a single parent to kids that he barely knows. And he's carrying all of these things at once with no one to talk to. So I think that this movie totally earned that. I just have a hard time seeing past it as, like I said, an answer to the dead mom cliche. Mm. Because I saw the same thing in Christopher Robin. And that had less of a reason to include it. Because I do agree with you that this story, it made more sense for that to be a through line. A central plot. But... I'm just getting really tired of it. Like, the same thing happened with uh, Saving Mr. Banks. And it's just like, your mom is either dead or your dad is... Distant. Or both. So it's hard for me to see beyond the fact that they utilize this, especially in their live-action films, a lot. The only thing that bothered me about it in this movie was that you never had a payoff for that. Because, again, I like the idea of it. I think that they set it up well and they earned having that. But they, you never got a payoff for him connecting to them. You got that tiny moment with his daughter in the, uh, the Museum of Modern Inventions or whatever it was. That wasn't even a real wrap-up. It was just him kind of accepting the fact that his daughter was who she was. Which was a given to happen anyway. You just You never got to see them actually be a family again. And I think that a lot of the family aspects of this film can be attributed to the fact that they were kind of, in their own subtle way, riffing off of The Greatest Showman. A little bit, yeah. It wasn't so apparent that I felt like, wow, this is a cheap cash-in on a concept that you wish that you had invented, Disney. Like, they have multiple times since Wicked happened. But they were using the inertia that Greatest Showman started. You know, the, one of the biggest through lines of Greatest Showman was the broad definition of what a family is and how a family is defined. And I did appreciate that, like we were talking about before, with the dead mom and now just the single father, they explored the fact that a single parent household can still be loving can still be committed to each other and it's not always like a point of contention but a lot of like the family elements like towards the end of the movie they have everybody unite once they get fired from the the michael keaton circus thing disneyland circus oh my did (laughs) i say that out loud and we'll get to that in a minute (laughs) i enjoyed that they came together to help dumbo and his mom reunite and then get out of town. But then after that, they go back to the circus. It's the Medici family circus mm-hmm. instead of the Medici brothers because there's never ben, really a brother. a brother. So I liked the alteration. Like I thought it was cute, but I didn't think it was earned because mm-hmm. you don't spend a lot of time with the everyone extended. else. The only thing I would say to combat that or contrast that is that they never once considered kicking the kids out of the circus. Mm -mm. So when the mom died and the kids really weren't doing anything to contribute, there was never a question that those kids would be there when he got, when the dad got home. Mm -hmm. They immediately took in those kids and they're like, you still have the tent. 
here's all of your stuff. You get to stay here. Most of your stuff. (laughs) I'll sell off the least important parts, but you know, like they never kicked them out and they could have easily done that and been like, well, your kids are going to be in this town. So I appreciated that too. And I think that they intentionally set up the circus in the town specifically because he was coming home on that train. I mean, I don't think that they ever said that, but I think that they set it up in a town where he would be able to get to them. And they do talk briefly about the stressors of the children not really contributing. The boy is assumed too young to find an act, but the girl never learned how to do anything. And never really wanted to because she thought it was beneath her Mm -hmm. because of her intellectuality, which I did appreciate that aspect of her character. I thought it was very topical without being like overly topical. But I also think that they could have used it better so that it wasn't just like, well, I don't want to be a performer. I don't want to be on stage. She could have been like, well, I'm smart and I know I can do this stuff and I don't want to be on stage. So here's what I can do for you guys. Right. And she never did that. It was just, I don't want to do it. But continuing on your point, the thought of kicking them out never really occurred. And you could see that in that first scene between Dane DeVito, Colin Firth, and the kids. He never, yeah, he never, like, gets angry or he never puts digs, like, they didn't do anything or why didn't you come home sooner and take care of your little rats? It was just like, yeah, the kids are here. We didn't kill them. It's all good. (laughs) That's the least that we could do for you. Right. (laughs) Is make sure your kids were alive when you got back. Not only because you are out fighting for our country, but also because... You're one of us, and of course we're going to take care of your family. And even though they didn't really spend a whole bunch of time on the background characters, all of them were recognizable. They were all recognizable, but they also weren't caricatures of themselves. Right, but also one of our biggest issues from the original was that all the background people were either clowns or they were the faceless brown people (laughs) the workers so setting up the tents so i appreciated that they at least gave the background people some accountability within the story and utilize them instead of them just being like oh well yeah we have to populate the scenes with people but it's really just about these four people yeah and they could have very easily done that so One of the last big things that I had to talk about was the Walt Disney parallel. Which, can we just say, you didn't even notice until I pointed out to you. Well, like I said at the beginning, I was more concerned with, wow, this is similar but also vastly different. So let me see where this is going to go. And I wasn't really thinking... I couldn't help but see it. I thought it was awkwardly obvious. It definitely was. I feel like no one else but Tim Burton could have gotten away with that. I really don't. I don't know how they let it stay in the movie, and I don't know how he got away with it. It was pretty central to the overarching theme and plot of the entire thing. Like, I don't think that they could have gone without it, if I'm honest with you. And I mean, I guess it could just be us reading into it since we've been seeing all of this stuff about Walt Disney and maybe it wasn't intentional but it seems it seems like it's too close to not be intentional so and of course what we should probably clarify though is Mr. Uh, V.A. Vandeveer being a what seems to be pretty clear stand-in for Walt Disney himself representation yeah and his empire being Disney World And one of my favorite themes that they explored through that dynamic was how success is defined. Because he's very, very particular 
especially with the kids, to say that you have to be in it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to... Make it happen yourself. Right, and to find the talent in others. But by finding the talent in others, he means exploiting it mm-hmm. for his gain. But as to what we know of Walt Disney, he was a very competent person. Mm-hmm. And he was good at finding the the positive talent in people and utilizing that to create great things and to help bolster his vision of his company and also the world that he was trying to create within his company. Whereas with the Vanderveer character, he was more concerned about, I have to make this work no matter what. So even if this person leaves, even if this person fucks me over, I still have to be a success. There is no failure. There is no mistakes. It is me against the world. Mm-hmm. And I can pretend like it's not. I can pretend like I'm cultivating this atmosphere of family and togetherness. But ultimately, if you prove yourself unworthy of that, then... I'm still going to succeed and I'm still going to survive no matter what. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the circus and the children being more of the persuasion that we need each other to survive, but not in an overly reliant way. But if you succeed, I succeed with you. And that's the thing that the Vanderveer character never really grasped. His descent into madness was kind of telling of the cracks you started to see in Walt before he died and how he became so obsessed with detail and how everything appeared to the public. Even when Vanderveer is walking through to find Dumbo when he finds his mom in the, what was it, like the Danger Mountain or whatever it was, like he's smiling to everybody and he's like, ah, enjoying your day, folks. And then he gets there and he's still smiling, but you see like that evil glint in his eye. He's like, you can't make the people see that there's something wrong happening. This is everything is, this is exactly what's happening. This is right. Everything's good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that obsession was something that you saw with Walt Disney too. And when he basically destroyed his own park, mm-hmm. he was responsible for that. Yep. And what was it exactly that broke up Tim Burton and Disney initially? I think that they basically told him that he had no talent. So essentially, and this is what I kept seeing too in the movie, was that the artists were the clear winners over the corporation. Like that was the main through line of that, is that the people who are creating the art and the people who are working together to create something are the ones who are always going to win. The corporation and where the money's at, you know, they end up destroying themselves out of hubris. But when it came down to it, the people who were actually doing the work and making the creations were the ones who made the best thing of all. Well, it doesn't work if you don't have the people to make it work. And I kind of wonder if that wasn't like a jab though, you know, where it's like, even Vanderveer kind of mocks the kids a little bit for that too. There's so many little jabs like that, that it made me wonder, like, is he getting his revenge on Disney by saying all of this stuff? Or <laughs> And everything about the park too, just everything about it. Like I've never been to any Disney park, but from what I've seen of them, 
And from what I've read about them, like, that was a pretty hardcore, like, laying down, this is the park and here's all of the ironic facades about it. Everything was fake. Everything mm -hmm. in that park was fake. All of the animals were painted or they had horns taped on them or whatever. And everything in the rest of the park, it had these beautiful facades but as soon as you go in you start seeing the peeling paint and you start seeing there are cracks in the facade and i think something that's important to note while we're talking about this is that just because you're trying to make things appear as they are not doesn't necessarily take away the positive impact of that yeah like they utilize that science museum mm -hmm. like the modern technology thing which is a definite Disney callback oh, illusion yeah. as a positive thing with the daughter because she goes there and she sees that there's more there's... to everything than she thinks that there is. And there's more possibility in the world than she thought there could be. And also that's the thing that gives her the idea to make her dad's robotic arm. It's meant more to spark imagination. Right. So I don't know. Everything that happened as soon as they got in the park, it started getting a little bit awkward. And that's why I wanted to go see it a second time. Because I didn't really feel like I had truly understood... How far they went with it. And I still kind of don't. Like, I still think that it deserves more viewings to kind of really grasp all of the nuances yeah of that entire concept and i just want to know why like what was he trying to get out of putting these references in mm -hmm. was it meant to mock was it meant to tell a story was it meant to try to teach them a lesson i don't know what the point in putting all of these parallels in was but there were enough that i don't think it could have possibly been accidental so i was actually kind of impressed if i'm being honest I wasn't really sure what it was going to be like going in. I knew it was going to be kind of weird, and it was less weird than I thought it was, but it was still it was still pretty weird. There were some weird parts. But overall, I was not disappointed. Well, I thought it was really cute and really fun. I enjoyed it both times we watched it, and I thought watching it the second time that I would get bored at least part of the way through just because we had just seen it the week before. But I enjoyed paying more attention to where they put all of the different CGI effects. And I loved the flying. Like you said, it was super, it was, it was awe-inspiring. It made you feel the weight, but also the lightness of Dumbo when he moved. And I loved Ava Green. And I love Ava and Colin working together and being adorable and flirty without being overtly, like, sexual. <laughs> and I loved how they interacted. I thought Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton together were absolutely hilarious and charming. And I'm not even a big fan of either of them, but they were so cute together and they worked so well together. They just played off of each other beautifully. I liked the close-ups on the mom's eyes all the time. I thought that it conveyed a lot of emotion that you don't get from the animated movie. It was no longer scary. Like you no longer felt like the pain of an animal being abused. It was just sad. I liked the way that they utilized Baby Mine and the way they utilized the rest of the music. Again, without just shoving it in your face. Like, I thought that he did a good job of marrying the original movie, like paying tribute to the original movie while still telling a brand new story. I thought it was a very charming movie. It was definitely unexpected. Oh, yeah. I was not expecting that movie at all. So I don't know what happened behind the scenes to make it 
as cohesive as it was because it was pretty cohesive. Yeah. And I guess that that was what I wasn't expecting. I expected it to be kind of all over the place. And it wasn't. It was very well written and very well conceived. I do think that they could have been more clear with some of the messages that they were trying to convey, but I always kind of think that. But I think that that's a positive because that means that you want to go back to it and see something that you didn't mm-hmm. see before or understand something that you didn't understand before. And that's why I thought it was important for us to see it twice before we even talked about it. And I'm sure that if we saw it again, that we'd probably have even more thoughts on it. Yeah, and I think it was a good movie for adults and kids. Like, there was enough going on that the adults will be able to enjoy it and have a chuckle. And there were a couple kind of side jokes that I think that the kids would not catch. But <laughs> there was enough cuteness and silliness that kids are going to enjoy it too. And it was it was a beautiful movie too. It was visually dynamic. The colors were stunning too. And I'm not really even sure if it was, like, a worthwhile remake. If it needed to be remade. Yeah, like, it was a good movie, and I'm glad that it exists, but it's not something that I needed. It's not something that I was really asking for or really looking for. But they still managed to make something kind of cute out of it. And I do definitely appreciate that. that Yeah. The dark horse of all of the disney remakes that are happening this year which is this aladdin lion king and technically the second maleficent live action movie oh yeah i keep forgetting about that one and it actually is in competition it's gonna stand up so if you haven't seen it then i would yeah it's it's so cute i don't think there's really anybody in particular that i would have in mind that wouldn't like it or would like it more than somebody else If you generally like Disney films and you're not completely opposed to this current live-action remake trend that's Mm -hmm. going to continue for the next seven to ten odd years. God help us. Right. Then this is one of the good ones. This is one of the ones that I would recommend, which I can't do very often with these. No, like I was completely shocked when people asked me if I liked it. I was like, actually, yes. (laughs) Of all the ones I thought that I would like, this was not one of them. This was definitely not one of them. I was kind of (laughs) dreading going to see it. I didn't think that it was going to be interesting at all. I was just kind of there for the comfy theater seats. (laughs) I actually really enjoyed watching it. Alrighty, well once again with The Practical Idealist, we have a Twitter at idealist underscore the we have an instagram which is just the practical idealist or our names destry and katie and it's been an interesting year for the podcast so far we've been busy and busy for weird reasons yeah like nothing that we could have foreseen at the end of last year and not bad reasons usually either other than my bout with the laryngitis. worst laryngitis I have ever had in my entire life. And we're about to head into our summer season. We went to Cincinnati Zoo here a couple weeks ago. For our birthdays. Yep. And then we are attending a concert for Mariana's Trench, which Woo! is a pop rock band from the mid-aughts and that Canada we enjoy. Land. Yeah. And then after that, we're going to go to the Columbus Zoo. And then we have a Cedar Point trip that we're 
definitely going to be talking about on the podcast in a month. <laughs> in a month. And our first King's Island trip of the season is yep. coming up. So it's going to be interesting going forward. This winter slash early spring has been odd, both weather-wise and interpersonally with yeah. the two of us. But I'm still enjoying doing these. The funny thing is, is that the recording is the hardest part for us. Yeah, we're we're totally willing to just watch things and do things. It's just sitting down, finding a quiet moment when both of us are home. We just tend to have a lot to say, as you can probably tell by the length of whatever this is going to be. Which is why we always have to block out sections of time to do it. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us once again. So just keep a lookout on our Twitter for information. But for everyone who has been listening, thank you. And we hope to be more consistent in the future. And we will see you soon. <laughs> Bye.